For those of you who were in Bible class uh, an hour or so ago, you know what our text is, John chapter 5. Uh, you know, I really love us looking at this text twice, both in Bible study and then in sermon. Uh, it is a challenge sometimes uh, to find different things to bring out so we're not repetitive, but then again, sometimes repetition is good too. Let's be standing as we hear the first part of this story out of John chapter 5. This is the Word of God. May God open our ears to hear His voice. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades or porches. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the water or the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. May God bless the reading of his word. Each Sunday I try to think of how to start a sermon. And also another thought that comes to my mind is how can we give people of different tastes and interests things that they like? It's rare that we do poetry here at Johnson Street, and yet I know that there's some of you out there that really love poetry. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. After the first service, I had a couple of guys come by me and quietly whisper, I like poetry. But I'm not going to tell you who they were, so your secret is safe with me. Well, if you're going to do poetry, one of the greatest poets, or one that I seem to enjoy the most is a woman named Emily Dickinson. She's very insightful in her poetry and a little quirky at times, and a lot of times will bring a smile to your face as well as sometimes just going right to the heart of a matter. Well, the poem I want to share with you today is one called Heaven is What I Cannot Reach, and listen to what she's saying in this poem. Heaven is what I cannot reach. The apple on the tree, provided it do hopeless hang, that is heaven to me. The color on a cruising cloud, the interdicted ground behind the hill, the house behind, there paradise is found. Do you hear her message? We can relate to that. And so often, the very thing that is heaven to us, the very thing that would fulfill our lives, the thing that would make us happy, just seems to be out of reach. And so she says that heaven, for her, is a thing that she can't quite get to. Relate? Certainly the man in our story could. Here he was, having been an invalid for 38 years, here he was seeking to be healed for 38 years. And for him, heaven would be the thing that would make his life complete and whole again. 
was to be able to walk. And yet that seemed to be just out of his reach. Now, in class, you probably looked at this story. It's about a pool called the Pool of Bethesda. There's other names for this pool, but that seems to be the one that, well, it's the one I like the best, so we're going with that, okay? I think I like it because it was chosen as the name of the hospital uh, around Washington, D.C. area where people go for healing, and Bethesda just sounds like healing to us, doesn't it? The Pool of Bethesda has been excavated in Jerusalem. We know what it looked like. We know how big it was. It was bigger than a football field. Now, that's quite a pool. Well, why was it there? Well, if we look at the name that John assigns to it and calling it a pool, it was a swimming pool. It was a diving pool, to be exact. It was a pool where people were to go and to relax, to enjoy a sunny afternoon together. And they had built these five porches, one on each side of the pool, and then they cut one right down through the middle. And those porches were intended to be places where people could get out of the sun for a while, could enjoy their picnic lunch. It was just a nice place to go. However, it had also developed a reputation as being a place where someone could be healed. Now, scholars debate how this happened, and it depends upon, I guess, their understanding or their acceptance of various reports. But what is thought by many is that there was an underground spring that fed this pool, and that it was an intermittent spring, that every once in a while it would flow. And when it began to flow, then the water would kind of be troubled or turmoil or bubbled up. Some even suggest that it would bring minerals from beneath the earth and it would kind of turn the water a rusty red. And and others say, well, no, and what the report going around then was that this was the result of an angel coming down, that an angel would descend and stir the waters up. And what the people who were there thought was that the first person who was able to get into that pool while it was bubbling, while the water was moving, perhaps while it was even turning red, that that first person then would be healed. So you can imagine that a lot of people came to that pool, not for a picnic, not to swim, but to wait. To wait for that event. To wait and see if they could be the first person into the water. So through that pool one day, Jesus comes. And out of all the people sitting on those porches around, he zeroes in on one particular man. It says that the man had been lame for 38 years. Some say, well, he was only probably even 38 years old. He had been born that way. And others, oh, maybe he was even older than that. And something had happened. He had gotten sick. He would had an accident. But he was unable to walk correctly or properly. So he had gone to that pool day after day after day, wanting to be made well. And Jesus goes to him, and knowing how long he had been this, in this condition, he says, don't you want to get well? And the man begins to tell his story. And his story is one that even makes us feel for him more. Because he begins with these really interesting words. He says, I have no one. Now, it's bad enough to be lame, 
It's bad enough to have to live barely able to move around, but then to say, I have no one. Now, does that mean he had no family at all, no friends at all, or he at least has no one who is willing to invest the time in him, to go with him, to be there for him in case this event happens so that he can get into the water? Because it goes on to say, when the water starts being troubled and rolling up, then I don't have anyone to, and there's an interesting word here. Y'all know how much I love words. John, in reporting this, says that the man says, I don't have anyone to throw me into the water. Now, that's an interesting picture, isn't it? Because that probably is just what happened. You can imagine everyone sitting around, Just waiting, and all of a sudden, somebody says, look, it's happening, it's happening. And then the friends of those of the the sick would grab them, and they'd throw them out there into the water. Got to be the first one. You know, the the quickest way or the most direct way is a straight line, right? And just pick them up and throw them into the pool. He says, I don't have anyone to do that. I have to get up and walk along. And while I'm trying to get there first, someone else always beats me. Well, Jesus says, I can handle that. And he gives him a healing that happens faster than the rush to the waters whenever they're troubled. He says, get up, pick up your bed, and walk. And just like that, the man stood up, took up his bed, and began walking What I want us to do for the next few minutes is walk with this man through this story. I hope in class you talked about a lot of things about this story, but what I want us to do in these moments is to use our imagination. I think I've mentioned before here, but we're doing a spiritual formation class on Wednesday evenings, and we're doing different spiritual disciplines to kind of stretch us and help us to grow spiritually. And the assignment for this week for that group was a thing called Lectio Divina. I know I've mentioned this before. It's one of my favorite spiritual disciplines. I have found so much inside and, and connection with Scripture through the practice of this discipline. It's not that hard. You can do it. All you do is you learn a story, and you learn it well enough that you can imagine that story. And then you put yourself in it, and you just walk around and look around and experience what you can see and what's going on, and let it then relate to your life and help you in whatever way that story may address you. Well, if we do that, there's several things we can do. One is that we can look at the man himself and really focus on him. Hopefully, you did that in Bible class. We could look at Jesus and focus on him. Hopefully you did that in Bible class as well. Perhaps you went on and further into the story than what we read a moment ago. What happened when the man got up and picked up his bed and started walking? Did everybody go, yay? Not the people in charge, not the religious authorities, not the church folks. Because after all, he was breaking a rule, wasn't he? What was the rule that he was breaking? Carrying his bed on the Sabbath. Couldn't work on the Sabbath. And, you know, one more wordplay. Original language. The word for bed in the original language is a crobatone. 
The word for Sabbath is sabbaton. The man got in trouble for carrying his crabbaton on the sabbaton. Now that's cool, isn't it? But it's also sad when we can get to a point in our lives where our very faith and our religion saps the joy out of others' lives. Isn't that crazy that it was their faith that prevented them from throwing a party and jumping up and down and celebrating the fact that a man had been healed? Well, that's another lesson. We could work on that one. We're not going to. Because what I want us to look at in the next few minutes is the rest of these people around here. I hope you can see that picture. Here we got the man who's being healed. Here we have Jesus. Looks like a couple of his disciples standing behind him. But look around. Here's a man running into the water. Here's a man that didn't make it. Here's one. Here's one. And can you see this guy over here? He's just totally depressed. He had missed out again. Well, let's think about those folks. Let's think about the ones who once again were left sitting on the porch. Now, I know that if this place was a crowded place like it seems to be, that when Jesus healed this man and the man got up, picked up his stuff, his bed, his mat, and began walking, that these other ones who were lame and paralyzed and sick, they saw that. What do you think they did? (laughs) Me, me, yeah. Heal me. Fix me. Why not me? And yet the story rushes on. Jesus disappears into the crowd so fast that this man who was healed didn't even have time to find out who he was. Why was that? Why with all of these people there who were ill, all of these people that had problems, why did Jesus heal the one and not all? Our faith is that if he can heal one, he could heal all, and yet he chose not to. Now, that's a question that may sound almost sacrilegious to ask, but I think it's a valid question. In fact, I think it's a question that addresses the real world. You see, in the world that we live, some people's problems go away, and some people are left sitting on the porch. Sometimes our problems go away, whether it be a physical illness, a spiritual problem, an emotional disturbance, something that is just confining us and dragging us down. Sometimes we will pray about it. Sometimes we will seek help for it. Sometimes it will go away. But what about those times it just doesn't, that we're left there on the porch asking why? Why me? Why not me? It really makes you wonder. And it's okay to wonder. There was a man named Thornton Wilder who's a playwright. And he wrote a play about this little story called The Angel That Troubled the Water. And in his play, he wondered about this. He wondered about the rest of the people that were there and they had to go home that day with their problems. He wondered about the people who still sat on the porch. And in wondering about that, he introduced another character in. It's not in the Bible, but this man was a doctor. 
And this man's problem, this doctor's problem, was not a physical problem. It was a spiritual problem. He had done something in his life that had shamed him, shamed his family, and he just couldn't get past it. He just drug it around with him all the time. And he had gone to the pool for healing to get rid of this this thing that was sapping his strength and keeping him from being the person he dreamed to be. And he encounters the angel as the angel comes to trouble the water. And he says this. He says, I want to be healed. And the angel replies to him, draw back, physician. This moment is not for you. Without your wound, where would your power be? It is your very remorse that makes your low voice tremble into the hearts of men. Where's he going with this? It is your woundedness. It is your realization that you too are a person in need that makes you able to reach others. The final line of the little speech is, in love's service, only the wounded can serve. Now, I don't know how theologically deep or trained Thornton Wilder was, although it's interesting that many of those playwrights and so forth went to seminary and got training before they began writing. But he's thought this through pretty well. Because what he has done, he has gone directly to the story of the Incarnation. Do you ever wonder, uh, you've asked this question, I know you have. If you've been in church very long, you've asked, why did my Savior come to earth? Anybody ever ask that question? We ask it in a song, don't we? Why did my Savior come to earth and to the humble go? Well, yes, the answer in the song is because he loved me so, but another part of that answer in Scripture is he had to. If he were going to relate to those who were wounded and sick and lame and paralyzed, he had to experience himself. That his voice had to be tempered as one who has known what it's like to be weak, as one who knew what it was like to suffer, as one who knew what it was like to hurt. God in heaven could not really reach down and give us who sit on the porch of life waiting for healing, the voice and the help that we need until he knew exactly what it was like to be on that porch himself. That's interesting, isn't it? Scripture is full of, of, of that very idea. We sometimes forget that the Apostle James, or James the brother of Jesus, in his little epistle said, you know, when you really start suffering with something, You really ought to be pretty content with that because that's going to help you become a better person and more mature. You go, wow. But the Apostle Paul said the same thing in Romans chapter 5. He says, don't you know that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and all of that works together for hope. The Apostle Paul himself tells us a story about when he was suffering and he begged God Let me be the one who's healed. Take it away from me. And God says, you are a better man for me with what you have, your thorn in the flesh. And Paul says, you know he's right? Because whenever I struggle, I reach up and hold on to him. 
And therefore, I'm stronger when I'm weak than I am when I'm strong. Now, that may sound like nonsense, but it isn't. Because it is in our weakness that we reach out to the one who is strong. And it's in your weakness that you reach out to others who sit on the porch beside you. It is in your weakness that you can speak their language and you can tell them of a God who loves and a God who sustains. And yes, a God who heals, but a God who brings goodness and mercy and grace into every single situation of our lives. One is another one, if I can get to it. There we go. Thanks, Monty. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Romans 8.28. Another one of those passages we love so much. But we got to know this word. We have to live this word. The word is that God makes all things work together for good for those who love him and are called to his purposes. Everything about us can be worked into something that God can use. Our weaknesses, our frailties, our strengths, our healings, our sicknesses, everything can be useful to God if we love him and are called to his purposes, which means simply that we give it to him. And we say, here it is. God, I don't understand this. But can you use it? Can you use it to make me someone who shows your glory and your power and brings others who are hurting to you as well? And if you ask that question every time, the answer will be yes. Another passage that says this is Jeremiah 18, 1 through 4, which Paul later references in Corinthians. But it's a story of, of Jeremiah going to the potter's house and watching the potter make a clay pot. And what happens to the pot while the potter's making? It just collapses. Oh, that almost, every time I read that story, I have to stop right there. Because I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be going, 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 and then just boom, you collapse. Well, what does a potter do with that? Does a potter pick up the clay and throw it away and say, that lousy clay, you know? I gave it every chance to be something good, and look what it did. No, the potter takes the clay and gently begins shaping it again, not just into another vessel, but to in something that is useful, something that can be used in the purposes of God. So, we learn from this story that we do live in God's world, not ours, and that there are things about this world we will never understand. And if anybody has a theology that makes sense out of everything in the world, run as fast as you can away from that person. Because we live with mystery. We live with the fact that, that God does things that we can't understand. He told us that. Jesus tells us that in the discourse after this, after he starts talking to the religious authorities. He says, the son gives life to whomever he wishes. I want to tap him on the shoulder and say, well, why is that? Why not just to everyone? It's a mystery. And mystery takes faith to live hand in hand with a God that we don't understand, giving him the things about us that we don't understand and asking him to use them. 
One more thing is that also this story reminds me that there's a key next door. I told you that story before. I think I told my Sunday night crowd this story before. This is a story I read years ago that continues to stay in my heart. I wish I could find it again. It just is simply in my heart. I read it one time and thought, wow, that's good. It's by a man named Leslie Weatherhead, and he talks about an experience of walking down a street one day and sees a vacant house. And he's drawn to the house. He wants to know more about the house. And so he, he goes up to the house. He begins to peek in the windows and looks around. There's some old curtains there. He can barely see in. He can make out, well, that looks like maybe that's the living room. Over here is a bedroom. Maybe the kitchen's back there. He wants to know more about the house, but he can't get into the house. It's locked, and so the house remains a mystery. And just as he's about to walk away, he looks down, and there's a little sign, a little paper sign taped to the door. And on the sign is written, key next door. And he's reminded that if he wants to know more about this mystery and know more about this house, he's going to have to go a little further down the path. He's going to have to go to the next place. And there will be the key. Jesus talked about that in his discourse as well when he said, I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. I believe this passage gives us something to hold on to. I believe that it tells us, for one thing, that healing is still possible in the world of God. Now, God is behind all healing. God works through our medicine, through our doctors. He's given us the intelligence to look and discover things about the human body and to put on. So we attribute that ultimately to God has given these abilities through gifted and talented people. But we also believe that there are times when there's no explanation that God reaches out and touches and heals, heals the body and heals the soul. But we also have to realize that there are times that those healings just don't seem to come. And if that is true for you today, if you are sitting on the porch wondering why me or why not me, then I encourage you to give that suffering to God and ask him what he can do with that and how he can use that very flaw, that very struggle, that very weakness to be a blessing to him, to his kingdom, and to others. And then look around because you're going to find a multitude of people sitting on that porch with you and you speak their language. And as you speak their language, tell them of God who holds the key, and one day the mystery will be no more. Let's stand and sing.